Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Hey, welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions. This is the first one, first one we've ever done, and I'm honored to have Catherine Turman as my initial debut guest. So, Catherine, say hello. Hello, you. hello, and I'm excited too. Minions. I'm, I'm not just here for the wine. Oh, yeah, we're, we're trying to keep it lax here. We're trying to keep, uh, trying to keep comfy. Uh, well, Catherine has written a book uh, second only to the Bible in, in size and giantness and weight, and it should be heavy at 700-plus pages because it's about metal, and it's the first and most complete oral history of metal that I'm aware of, and it's called Louder Than Hell, and uh, definitely worth reading. It's very interesting and uh, unfolds like like you would imagine, history from top to bottom of proto-metal through, uh, what was the last chapter? Was it uh, Metal Core? Yes, Metal Core. You know, with every year there's a new genre, you know, there's... Well, that almost sounds like one of the names of the band. Like every band in that <laughs> yes. genre has like a sentence for a name. It also sounds like, you know, Metalocalypse, like that could be a, a new genre as well. You know, there's okay. uh, new words, new bands, new genres. We had to end it somewhere. We could keep going. But, so what would you know. what would have come after that? I was actually trying to figure That's that out. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, we finished the book in 2014. Is that I believe or maybe two thousand thirteen? Yes, two thousand thirteen. But then we got to do when we we it came out in hardcover and which as you mentioned it's two point two pounds and one of our friends actually shot a bullet through it. It can almost stop a bullet. Whoa! Because you know if you if All you right. hit the Lemmy page, it'll definitely stop the bullet. Ah, um, but uh, yeah, that's right. When we got to uh, do a slight update, when we put it in soft cover. The only things, it was already so long, the only things we were able to update were people who had passed away or things that were inaccurate. So between the first uh, the first printing and the second, let's see, Jeff Hanneman of Slayer died. The uh, lawsuit for Lamb of God was resolved. So we put in just a very few little updates factually, but we couldn't add if there was, you know new bands or something new exploding. But I have to say, I don't think there is some new scene. You know, it's not like... Wow, this is burgeoning and bubbling, and we have to get that in there. I don't, I don't necessarily know that. Uh, if I'm sure it's out there, but I'm probably not aware of it. And so, would you guys consider doing an update if there was, like, say, a new printing in a couple years, or would you do, you know, well, a number two? That's a good question. Actually, at first, when we got into this, uh, I have a co-writer on this. I'm the co-author with John Wiederhorn, who's a you know longtime journalist as well. Uh, he's like, let's make it two. I'm like, no, I can barely get through this. It took us quite a few years and unhappy spouses and crying children, his, you know, daddy, we never see you. So I said, no, I, I can't do another. Um, I don't know. It's something like this. I guess if you look, we modeled this after a book. I know you know, which everyone worships, which is Please Kill Me, which is a sure. oral history of punk by Legs McNeil. Um and actually, I don't know. We would probably do whatever he's done. I don't know what he's done. It's hard to update. I mean, I guess you can always update, but many of the people are dead in our book, sadly. I mean, you know, we're not going to get a new Dio interview. We're that sort of stuff. So, um, and I don't think we could, I, I, I guess if we were to do another book, we could do people we didn't include in this. But since yeah. this is allegedly definitive, hopefully there aren't too many well, we meant to be out. definitive. Uh, yeah, a, yeah, now yeah. even more. But we forgot Black Sabbath. But no. I think I think uh, <laughs> Legs kind of looked at it 
perhaps a bit more cynically than you guys did in that to him the punk rock he loved had kind of come to an end so it was the whole story whereas metal is an ongoing thriving constantly changing and mutating beast that as they say will never die exactly which i believe i believe that to be true well let's uh let's go back to some of the nuts and bolts of this because it's such a huge book and it had to have been you've already hinted at a monstrous undertaking yes how did let's go back to the beginning how did it start who had the idea who called the meeting what how did you guys get this going uh it started with john wiederhorn my co-writer and he wanted to do a judas priest uh authorized biography and there's not one out there and he got an agent who said sounds like a great idea then the band backed out and they're like we're not ready to tell our story and uh so john and his agent began talking and and the they they realized there wasn't a you know any kind of big oral history on metal. There's some academic ones. There's Ian Christie wrote one, The Sound of the Beast. There, you know, there's a fair amount. There's a, a black metal book that's uh, super definitive, but there isn't something that gets you know the whole. Oh, you're enchilada. not talking about uh, ta- uh, is, Lords of Chaos. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. They're making that into a movie. Really? That's what I heard, which I can't imagine. But, Who is uh, going to star in that? Uh, it's got to be James Franco, right? I mean, isn't that... Does he have an up down, upside down cross on I his head? I don't know. Well, he can do it. Are they going to are they gonna build churches and then burn them down? And uh, yeah. Eat well, brains? CGI. CGI burn churches. That sounds amazing. Um, so, yeah, John and, and his agent said, yeah, that's, there's, a, there's room for that. And the agent said, you need someone to help you. And fortunately, John thought of me. And the suggestion was get someone who is, you know, not your musical doppelganger, not... not you know, as someone who is into, into other stuff uh, than you are. And I was West Coast born and raised, so I was definitely, uh, you know, it, meeting you at the time when the Sunset Strip was exploding with metal. Um, actually, I guess when I first started going out, it was New Wave and metal. You know, you'd see the motels one night and Wasp the next night at the Troubadour sort of thing, or Berlin and then, you know, um, Power Trip. Sure. You know? um, so yeah, John called me up and said, uh, you know, there's room for this book. I was raised on the East Coast. I know more hardcore and, and thrash. And uh, we both came together on, you know, Pantera and more, <clears throat> I guess, power metal and groove and, and classic metal. And uh, we met with the agent. He's like, I could get you guys a deal. The agent is um, Jim Fitzgerald. He's done, uh, he was also the agent for Brendan Mullen's book, the... Um, Wow, that name has just clobbered me over the head. I believe, and I would have, this is a long, long, has he been I'm in the sure business a long time ago? Many, many, he's, yes. Back I, in the 90s even? Oh, I mean, he's he's probably 65, and I, I, I feel he's like Norman Mailer-ish. All right, I believe Jim was one of the first. He was uh, an editor. First, first guys to have the distinction of rejecting the, the smell of death, if I'm correct. It's was he at, I, think, I think he was he, at St. Martin's Press. He mi- I think he might have been. And then he got out of the ed- editorial side and became an agent. And uh, wow. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, he he's, he did a book with Sonny Barger, the uh, Hells Angels guy. He did an early book, uh, um, early Merle Haggard book. I don't know who wrote that. He I think he agented that. And he himself wrote a funny book. I'm going to get the title wrong. But it's basically The Joys of Smoking. He's a heavy smoker, so oh. so he's a he's a quirky character. Good and, for him. And so yeah, he was able to get us a a book deal after. I don't know what if you had to go through this. The proposal was a huge undertaking 
which I didn't realize. I didn't have to, to do that. Oh yeah. But, well, no, I. You're special. No, you're no, better. my whole thing was completely different. I, Yours I, was written already. Yeah, I did yes. it just like I do one of my records. I go, no one will understand it. I'll just do it. If someone will put it out, great. So if you're not, a true artist. We're just hacks. No, no, no I, I wouldn't us. say that at all. <laughs> it was also a little point in my life where a few things fell out. It was a good little uh, time filler. And I believe you had you had someone in your close circle help you push the book. So that would have been. Uh, I love that story, uh, Heidi. But uh, we failed. And so I threw it in. It's been sitting on a nightstand for mm -hmm. a couple decades, and Elsa snuck mm -hmm. it out yes, when I wasn't looking. Story. Uh, and to our friends at Rare Bird who have this uh, SoundCloud thing yeah, happening. I mean, and, and if part of the point of this conversation is to tell uh, people how things are done, they're done in any and every way. I mean, look at you, you know, your, your book sitting there forever, and then your wife passes it along. Us, you know, kind of all of a sudden got a huge deal with HarperCollins. And, you know, it's it can be so random. So was there a need? Now, you got this deal, so of course you get an advance. Was a certain amount of that advance necessary just to get the job done in terms of, like, was there a, a, a budget to actually create the book in terms of, like, transcribing mountains of tape and all that kind of stuff? Because that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah, essentially, um, so the co-writer and I, John, we split, actually, I'll tell you all the details fascinated people out there if you are um, we split at 60-40 because John is a full-time freelancer and I have my Alice Cooper job so I was going to do a little less of the work 40% and so we split the advance and it was ours to do with what we wanted if that's proper sure. I think I ended in a preposition it's fine um, so yes we did need transcribers we did put some of our money to that it was kind of you know it was very difficult to figure out because uh, you know, he'd do interviews on his own, John. I would do interviews on my own. Very rarely we'd do interviews together. We'd be like, who's paying for this transcription? You know, we're looking for kids to do stuff for free. And we did, and we got some some kids who didn't know much about music, and every name was spelled wrong, and it was so, it was really funny, actually. We had a lot of good laughs out of that. So then after that, you start putting it together. Is there another person involved that's like editing beyond you guys to, to, to kind of, was there several uh, phases of editing, shall we um, say? No, there was a lot of scrambling and tears and stress and anti-anxiety drugs involved, I would say. Uh, we didn't really know how to do it. Neither of us had written a book before. Um, and we also just, you know, because it is such an all-encompassing subject, they are not all new interviews. A lot of them are, are archival interviews. So part of my money was paid, uh, I was living in Brooklyn, to come, to come to L.A., go to Burbank, to my storage unit, find cassettes that I did in the 80s, and look for my transcripts and cassettes, and I, I got those digitized whenever I could, and, uh, you know, I had a Guns N' Roses interview from 86 or 7 that I did for Music Connection, and, you know, so that was a lot of it, was calling through our old stuff. Now, on something like that that you did for someone else, did you have to go back and get clearances, or was it old enough that no one gave it? I did. Actually, on that really one, cared? I didn't, so let's not tell them, but I... <laughs> John and I had both written a lot for Larry Flint's Rip Magazine. Sure. And since, you know, Larry is, you know, thanks to Hustler and everything, he's been involved in many, many lawsuits. So we didn't want to be another, uh, you know, get involved in anything like that. And we, you know, we had got paid well by Rip and loved Rip and Long Friends. So I did go to them and said, this is what we're planning to do. And they said, just credit, you know, where they came from. And there were other writers we used, even though... 95% of the interviews are uh, mine and John's. If we couldn't get someone, we asked friends. Uh, 
like I asked my friend Jennifer Clay for uh, an Iggy Pop interview I know she did. So we got that from Rip and, and, and the Flint Publications just said, as long as the writer agrees, it's fine with us. Okay, so because I, I was wondering about that when I was reading through it, it seemed like a lot of the stuff was even maybe from the 70s and stuff. Uh, is there people that aren't in your circle of friends or that you didn't actually know or do yourselves that you just went and got an old interview from another ma- or, or archival magazine stuff like, say, from Cream or what have you? I don't actually think we did that. Like, for instance, we have I actually interviewed quite a few of the old guys. Like I interviewed Dickie Peterson from Blue Cheer. Uh, I interviewed, uh, let's see, um, Ian Gillen. Uh, we couldn't get, for instance, uh, Jimmy Page or Richie Blackmore. Those were the two I was going to ask because they're like the, yes. the people that they so, won't talk to anybody. I believe we went, uh, I want to be sure, well, we went, I think it was Brad Talinsky who has a whole, it was someone at Guitar Magazine that we knew. So we went back to them and said, do you have any old interviews? And we were able to get those. So Doesn't it, Wiederhorn write for that as well? He does. So he's he's kind of got yeah, he's, it. Okay. And I know, I know, I'd written for some of the Guitar Magazines too. So I, I think everyone we asked said yeah so you know i went to janice garza for some photos it was really a uh reaching out to friends and asking for favors thing cool really very much so i mean after doing did this did i ask all those you years, for anything no i don't think so sorry you probably thought of me as too punk rock which is okay <clears throat> yes so there was nothing really that harper collins or anybody had to clear everything was sort of free and uh, well here here's basically what happened um actually here's something you i don't know what you ran into photos we had no photo budget zero so if we wanted to pay anyone for photos, uh, it was going to come out of our pockets. Of course, we didn't want to do that because we're broke writers. So again, I went to my friend Stephanie Cabral and asked for a lot of stuff. And we approached a bunch of other rock photographers. Um, so we had to have them all sign release forms. And then in terms of clearances, the only things we needed were when the book was turned in, the lawyers came to us and they had certain... I, they you know, marked about 20 instances of, of quotes they wanted verified for whatever reason when it was talking about someone who died or something that might have been illegal, of course, in metal, lots of stuff like that. Well, yeah, there's people getting <clears throat> shot in the book, stabbed yes. in the head. Jimmy yes. Page says that without drugs, it wouldn't have worked. And Exactly. Was... And then, yeah, with the one that, that I remember so funnily where I actually went back, I interviewed Don Dawkin. And I feel, I feel we've had a Don Dawkin instances. He talked a lot about well, not a lot about, but he did mention um, El Duce. I was so happy to get Don the men- Dawkin? Don Dawkin. All right, this is yeah, this, I, I know exclusive here, folks. Come on, the <laughs> the El Duce Don Dawkin connection. <laughs> yeah, I uh, well, I believe it was a South Bay connection, so it was a, a somehow I don't know if El Duce lived down there, but s- somehow all these people sort of knew and worshipped him. I guess maybe he was hanging at the Starwood. I don't know. He was he was Was a, he around then and and that yeah, era? Yeah, they would have I mean they would have existed in the same time frame. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. a couple uh, yeah, several people mentioned the mentor, so I was thrilled about that since I have a special place in my heart. But the Don Dawkins story, he said something about his bandmate George Lynch, uh, I believe having sex with a girl using a a spike heel shoe. And so I get a call from the HarperCollins lawyers are like how do you know this happened? I said, well, he was there. Like, are you sure? I'm like, I don't know. So I had to go back to Dundalk and say, how do you know that George Lynch used a shoe? And so, yeah, that was kind of horrifying to, to verify some of those. I'm like, well, it's true. And only a few things got taken out. And they were more for, I think, at the time, Randy Rhodes' mother was alive. I think she's passed away since. But 
um, yeah, we, we just, uh, you know, I guess, I guess legally and in one or two cases not to hurt a mother's feelings or something, we tamed it down a bit. But yeah, in terms of clearances, there's no song lyrics, though the title Louder Than Hell, uh, it's a Motley Crue song, first of all, in um, Manowar, I believe. I don't think you can copyright a title, though. Isn't that the, isn't that the way the U.S. So. government works? I mean, we talked about what if we were going to use song lyrics, we probably would have had to clear them unless... Yeah, and then we thought, we need music to go with this. We need some kind of CD or soundtrack, but that was likewise impossible, an undertaking. So, yeah, in, in terms of clearances, it wasn't like a TV show or everything where you have to, you know, go go and clear every piece of music. It didn't, I mean, maybe they did something I'm unaware of <laughs> in their legal department. It's but. funny you say that, but Howard Parr's book has a soundtrack. Oh, I'm so jealous. Uh, but I think he did it some, I, I want to get him in. Have you read his book? No. It's pretty good. Uh, anyways... Yeah, he has something where you, uh, there's like a link. Right. And it just plays. You can like, but I mean, it's a little more interactive than you might want. Like you get to, oh, now I got to hit this one when I'm on page 200. Right. You got to remember. It's like an it. audio tour at a museum. Yeah, it's kind of, <laughs> it's, but it's a cool idea that uh, he yeah, got, we, all, got all the songs together. Yeah, to I wish that. we could have done that. But I mean, that's what he does for a living. Actually, maybe I can, uh, I can get him to do something if I do another book. He can be my music supervisor on a book. Would you do another book? I mean, you're still a really super busy person. I'm actually doing another book. It's actually, I've missed my deadline. Um, yes, I have a <laughs> I have a deal. It's not really my book. I'm not sure how to phrase it. I'm, I'm not co-writing. I'm helping someone write their autobiography, so it'll be Oh. This person with mine with Catherine with Turman. Catherine and I will I don't mind telling you who it is. It's um there's a band on Roadrunner in the early 90s called Life of Agony. Mm-hmm. They're the singer uh, Keith Caputo and Keith has uh, is a trans person and is uh, now known as Mina Caputo. Um, and the band got back together and now she's singing for the band as a woman and you know it's a bunch of tattooed Brooklyn dudes they came out of Lamore with the biohazard sick of it all scene and so there's a lot of crazy Brooklyn stories and then the the transition and it's it's pretty dramatic and intense and she's giving me a lot of great stuff she she moved to uh europe for like five or six years and so that's uh that's the book i'm working on that's sort of the against me story exactly it is it is um so i guess the thing with these guys is how far do we go i mean it seems like a lot of them just i'm a girl now i think i'll wear dresses get a little eyeliner going you know what i mean i mean I know it's actually it's been uh, such a learning experience for me. Well, because right now, of course, or and I'm sure in the in the future quite a bit, all the bathroom stuff. What bathroom do you use? Do you use the sex you're born with? That whole kerfuffle, if that's the word. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, she is a, a tiny person, which I think helped. We talk about you know the thing passing. Do you pass? That's uh, I guess a horrible word that uh, that they don't like in the trans community. But Mina as a woman is as she was as a man five foot one and skinny and right. so now she's you know beautiful long hair puts on a, a cute skirt and yes so she you know it's not like uh in in the in transparent you know if you've seen that tv show not like jeffrey tambor who's like a big hulking guy in a muumuu you know well you know but th- so, I don't know, that's another like thing do we get past that or not either i mean the guy in against me still sounds like naughty holder when he sings which is amazing which is amazing and his background <laughs> singer does too how'd you get two of them in one band i don't mm-hmm. know but uh, when i was a kid uh little bruce stuff trivia uh my girlfriend in high school's grandmother 
was roommates with Christine Jorgensen, and I used to do their yard work in, at the beach. Wow. So, yeah, it was a totally weird thing. And uh, I think it was the second date. We drove down to the beach, and she goes, hey, my grandmother lives around here. You want to go by and get some sandwiches or something? I said, yeah, great. And we went in there, and a couple old ladies living together who were in bed asleep, as far as I know. It's a pretty dark house. And I walked through the living room, and there's a big, giant, like, six-foot floor-length life-size portrait of the woman and her last name is different than my uh, girlfriend so I mm-hmm. figure it's the roommate and there's a little light on it I get a little closer this is Christine Jorgensen I'm like whoa that's intense <laughs> really and then we met her and they were totally nice and let me drive their Cadillac around I'd go I went down like every week for a while it got to be a burnout though and I will say she was very very picky about her hedges and we'll leave it at that but Double entendre? Yeah, no, no. I think that I, sounds like an Aerosmith song. Picky with edges? Something. Yeah, all right. <laughs> or a Naughty Holder song. So, you know, I was looking through... By the way, I got to say, the Catherine Turman uh, novel, second novel, could just be your resume. I mean, my <laughs> God. Well, it's because of you. Do we well, have to tell that story? Uh, you know, we, we go back a long ways in the L.A. writing community. But one thing I forgot about... Uh-oh is a Los Angeles Alternative Press. Wasn't that one of the last, like, weeklies that, you know, fought the good fight right to the end? It was. It was, actually, it was a bi-weekly every other week, which is, I guess, made it, it couldn't really compete with the LA Weekly. It was um, a a husband and wife, so a couple started it, uh, both Berkeley graduates, really great people, and... um, I, I was only with them about a year, but we changed offices about three times. But I, I became editor in chief. The um, Yvette had gone out maternity leave and didn't come back. But that was amazing for me. That was really really fun. But it was, it was by the you know uh, was very shoestring. I mean, the publisher himself would you know go out and deliver papers. I remember going there on Thanksgiving because I had to get something done. It was Did very. It, had it been around a while? I I feel it's. I don't, I'm not going to get this entirely right, but I think it started sort of from a zine store in Echo Park, maybe. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if they owned the store or they started it out of that. By the time I got there, it was trying to be the weekly or the reader, basically. And for a while, there was those three and New Times. Yes, so New Times. So we had four alternative yeah. weekly or biweekly papers, yeah. and everybody was writing. And then it kind of, but that by 2005, it was getting to be yeah, I a think bit of a tough ride. I believe that That's when they started falling my, off the tree. Yeah, I think that was my last. I, I remember like bands like Silver Sun Pickups were just starting, and that's who we were writing about then. Um, but yeah, unfor- I mean, I loved it. I took it, the job, because I wanted to do that, but, you know, I couldn't survive. And uh, the paper, Was that actually your full-time job at the time? It was my full-time job, but I was like... You know, you were probably their only paid employee. Yes, we had some. The, one of our offices was near Occidental. We were in Eagle Rock, so we had a, a few great interns. We had some good. We had Clint Catalyst. We had uh, Josh Kuhn. I think that's how you say his name. K U N. He's now. I think he's L A Times guy. He's a professor at USC. Um, there was a lot of good writers, and you know, a lot of young writers too. I, I, uh, and then I used some of my old friends like Sharon Levitin. I'd, I'd reach out to you know whoever I thought could write. Except maybe you again. <laughs> I actually was straining my brain to remember if I did well, that. The the pay was probably. I wrote for the other three. Yeah, I wrote for New Times also. Did that have? Was it two names or was it? Oh, it was L.A. New Times or? No, it, it yes, was, it was New Times, but it, it's confusing the whole. With uh, Robert Walonsky, was he the music? Was that our music uh, editor? Do you remember? I, I don't remember, but okay. I, I believe that New Times bought. 
Reader bought New oh, Times or somebody bought Village the Weekly. Village View. Village Voice Villa- bought. No, there was a, vil- a, a paper called Village View, I think, that maybe turned into New Times. I, I don't know. A bunch I of know. people bought a bunch of other people and then yes. everyone went out of business. That's yes. sort of is how, how I remember it. Exactly. And the LA Weekly is still somehow here. Yeah, I know. Actually, interestingly, the Village Voice, who I write for, it's exciting to be there. They were owned by New Times, so they weren't, which is the same company that I think owns. The Weekly, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Because I know the Village Voice and the Weekly are. are... But now an independent guy came in and bought The Voice and is kind of trying to take it back to the the halcyon days. Um, You know, way more editorial than advertising, bringing back some of the writers that were like, you know, Michael Musto and... The original critic, uh, Robert Christgau, he's not necessarily back full-time, but they're all involved with the paper again. And Interesting. Trying to become what I it mean, was. I mean, I appreciate when these people do that. I mean, they, I remember they tried to do the same thing with Cream Magazine, and that I remember. did not work. It just ended up in a bunch of guys suing other guys that weren't even part of Cream. Were the, you involved with that at all? Uh, I was going to write for them. I was writing for it uh, when there was an online version, that. which was fun. Uh, and it, but it was yeah we're gonna have the printout soon it's gonna happen and then it just they did a coffee table book though, they did which... that was Robert Mathau yes. did that he's mm-hmm. still around I, I, I he actually did a, a record cover uh, for a band I managed nice. very recently so yeah he yeah he's I know he also does Iggy stuff Stooges stuff he's a Detroit based guy I think yeah. so but he lives over Fairfax area yeah are we getting to inside baseball here nah people? I don't know <laughs> you know hopefully people tune in that also know us and can tell other people about it and stuff. Uh, you know, I I can't let you go without asking a few little inside dirt questions on, uh, you know, the single greatest American rock musician of all time, who you work for, mm. Alice Cooper. Yes. So I, I they're putting the original band together, minus of course Glenn Buxton. Uh, you you know anything inside on that? They say it's going to be a killer type record, as in the like be- his the fourth record, album. Not, yes. Yeah. Well, I do have inside scoop. First of all, that's not true, because what's not true? They're not putting the band together at this moment. Oh. But because I will tell you, two weeks ago or a few weeks ago, Alice played Portchester, which is in New York. And I hung out with Dennis Dunaway and Neil Smith, who I both know. You should uh, you should talk to Dennis. His book is pretty cool. You probably read that. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I hear it's amazing. It's great. Same agent, Jim Fitzgerald. Hi, okay. Jim. Um, so, and, and in working with Alice, I produced Nights with Alice Cooper, uh, he lives in Arizona, and he, he, you know, kind of voice tracks the radio show like we are doing here. Yep. And um, uh, the, his engineer's like, oh, no, no, you know, Dennis is here, and they're writing, and Neil's here. I'm like, oh, interesting. So I knew he was writing with the original band, but then somehow it, it kind of came out that they were reuniting. So I talked with, with Dennis and Neil. They're like, no, we're just writing songs. The record won't even be out this year. It's not a done deal at all. And I talked to Alice, and he's like... You know, I've got my current band. I've got the Hollywood Vampires. Nothing set. Nothing's happening this year. But he did say, Dennis told me he gave him at least five songs that Dennis had written on his own. And uh, Alice had collaborated with Neil. So there's definitely writing going on. But I think beyond that, they're not sure. Well, one of those online uh, daily metal yes. update things, it, it's quoted, attributed to Alice. I know. saying... I know. It's going to be in the killer direction. Yeah. No, I think it, I haven't heard anything yet. I'm, I rarely am privy to that. Once in a while, I get to, to hear stuff before it's done. Um, I mean, I guess that's definitely what they're going for. And if anyone's going to do it, it's them. I think they're all still good writers. I mean, Dennis is in a band with a, one of the Blue Oyster Cult guys. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Bouchard, I mean, okay. was that it? Or, yeah. Mm, I, I don't know. I, yeah. Anyway, so 
Yeah. I, I mean, you know, Bob Ezrin produced Alice's last couple albums. Um, I don't know if he'll work with him again. You know, I'm not really sure. There might be another Hollywood Vampires album, though I feel that might be weird since, you know, the first one was really a covers album, and I'm not sure if they just do another pseudo all star not pseudo well i thought that was the all-star, idea all-star. of it they were covering all the people yes. that had been except there was one notable vampire they didn't do a song of i guess because it was too square the monkeys yeah mm, there's so many great monkeys songs great that are monkeys. do you know about the monkeys record i know there is one it's like they got like guys the guy from the jam and oh, weezer really and, yeah they wrote songs for him so, oh. so it's the same thing you get the right. hip writers that do that kind of stuff nowadays and they wrote monkey songs. Yeah. So. Well, I guess, yeah, that's true. Because um, Al- Alice calls the album, you know, My Dead Drunk Friends. That's one of the songs. But, I mean, uh, I think Mickey Dolan's was the, the vampire, which is the drinking club. He's not dead, but Davey is dead. Is that right? I don't yeah, wanna, I mean, Mickey Dolan's, I don't wanna... Mickey Dolan's is the only one who's got his name up on the yes, vampire's exactly, plaque at the Rainbow, exactly. if that has any weight, which I can only assume that it does. Well, I think maybe I'll need to go to the Rainbow perhaps tomorrow and visit Uh, that that lair. We will check it out. (laughs) Well, while you're looking, I should just tell everyone how I was uh, going to USC and uh, journalism school, and I was the only one kind of writing rock and roll there. I, one of my first interviews at, at USC when I was, you know, 19, 20, Twisted Sister. Then I did, I believe, 45 Grave, because they might have been doing a show at USC and not one person at the school besides me cared about this kind of music. But somehow you took notice when you were at New Image. And this is what I remember. And then you, you know, reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to write for some other magazines? And I'm like, yes. And, oh, so you um, were writing for the school paper. I was writing for the Daily Trojan. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I think you'd probably been sending oh, us. Oh, that's probably right. Yeah, I was. You'd been sending us stuff. Sure. And then you wanted coverage elsewhere and being a smart publicist you, you said i'll get you in other magazines if you write about you didn't say if i write about my artists but you know i probably did that would okay. that would have totally been something i would it's a have conflict done. of interest and no, that's no. very poor poor Conf- conflict of interest is my middle name i i, I that's have a no. long name yes it is <laughs> but anyway that's how and i believe you got so what me into year music would that connection. i graduated college in 86 and i was already writing by then so probably 84, 5? Oh, wow. We well, are that, old. That's pretty early on because I started, I started right? in publicity be? in 84. So, yeah, I would, yeah, probably 85, 86 because I wrote for Music Connection and by 86. To, and I've been writing for Music Connection since the tail end of the 70s, but yeah, I think by, I think yeah, sure, by then. I think Kenny or was Bud, that, Bud or Kenny? No, was, it was, yeah, or I can't else. remember what order everybody was in. And Jeffrey Jampol was there. Yeah, a, but I think, a, I think, uh, I think by then they had given me a, uh, the little editor job that I had. I wasn't the editor. Right. I had just had like a six a page. I had six pages. I remember. That was, uh, and, and amazingly, it's a magazine that's still around in the still print Still around, in, the print version. in print, believe it or not. Unlike BAM, which was another favorite. Yeah. Were you, were you an editor there? At BAM, I had a column called Raw Power, which was subtitled oh, right. The Beat of the Street, which All was right. based, I considered it sort of an A&R column. I tried to sure. see what, you know, I got a lot of demo tapes, literally tapes back then. I had to get a P.O. box because I didn't want to publish my address and have bands like showing up at my front door handing me Which tapes. would have happened. Yes, it would have. And it did happen a few times. Um, yeah, that was those were fun days. I look back, you know, you don't know when you're in them that they may be the best days. Or the best is yet to come. I don't know. So Whatever De- cliche. Desi Benjamin's making a movie about all this. And I, I did a little bit of that. I saw that. I saw some of it. But it's definitely the 80s. And, you know, it's a lot of old guys talking about the good old days and it's like okay and i've like i've already been through this with punk rock but 
in a way, one thing that's definitely missing, I mean, I guess it's sort of kind of the same thing out in Echo Park, but just the level of community and scene that there was at, at that uh, go 80s going into 90s was yeah. kind of incredible. I don't really see it exactly the same way anymore. I mean, I've lived outside of L.A. for 10 years now, and I drove down Sunset. I'm like, oh, that's where I used to, you know, now it's the pink taco. It used to be... Miyagi and they, they had the Glam Slam dance club oh, there, yeah, not yeah. Princess Glam Slam. No, but it was that, I, I can't um, remember the name of the place, but yeah, that's where English that's where English used, Acid was English there. English Acid yeah. was there. Yeah, and that's so, right. yeah, I'm 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 a fairly nostalgic person. And actually, speaking of, you should read or talk to if you haven't uh, the John Doe Punk book uh, called Under the Big Black Sun. Basically, what he did, it's uh, he assigned each. A person in the, in the scene, a chapter, and so there's a Charlotte Caffey chapter, there's an Exine chapter, there's a Mike Watt chapter. Oh wow! And um, it, everything. I've been from, meaning to read it. Yeah, I, it's I was cool. going to get Chris in here too. And here we are. That's all right. Yeah, I'm fine. writing will not get you rich unless you're. Do you have any rich writer friends? Uh, Journalists or Let me turn this off for a minute while we do some <laughs> research. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There, there's got to be somebody that's doing okay. But uh, most people I know, and I mean, look, for me, back in the day when I was just writing all the time, I made okay money, but it was never my job. I was always a second, yes. like, here's a, a nice little extra income flow, plus uh, I'm getting, you know, in those days, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you get to travel. Yes. No one does that anymore. Uh, get to, you know, all the backstage food and drink and free concert ticket, free records. Yes. There, there's no free records anymore. You get a link. I know. Link I actually, um, I, I've spoken to a few college classes recently, and I feel like the old geezer. Back in the day, you know, I went on the road with this band. And, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I got as far as Brazil on a record company dime. Sure. Which, which band was that? Well, when we were doing Hard and Heavy, we did the whole Rock and Rio thing. Oh, oh I have to actually... If I may jump in and tell you something, Louder Than Hell, the book, Ingve was a person who turned us down. I mean, we have, you know, Ozzy Osbourne and, and Bruce Dickinson, but Ingve said no, and we didn't pursue it because we were kind of annoyed. Well, which is too bad because Ingve is actually an amazing interview. We felt he belonged there. <laughs> He's but, hilarious. And we were just kind of like, what do you mean, no? And we were just kind of pissed. So we're like, all right, forget it. You don't want us. We don't want you a little he bit. He has my so. second favorite rock and roll quote of all time. All right, let's hear it. It's, uh, he was talking about less is more. He goes, less isn't more. More is more. <laughs> and... You know, I mean, it's not it's not profound, no, but it's it's, uh, it's very rock and roll. Or like Viv Savage says, "Have a good time all, all the, the time. time." Well, I think that's a good ending. Uh, we've run a little over time. Not that this is uh, on any kind of grid or anything, but uh, I'm going to wrap her up. Excellent. Thank well, you so much for coming by. It was a uh, pleasure. Can we do another three hours just for us? We can certainly do another bottle of wine. <laughs> Wait, but there's still a little left. You bet. Let's see if we can make make the sound effect. Thank you for listening to the Tone Duff Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Our next conversation will be with Lena Lacaro, author of Los Angeles' Best Dive Bars, Drinking and Diving in the City of Angels.